Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. Today we're bringing in new members, and I want to uh, read for these. Actually, they're in trouble. We just wanted to. uh. As a member of the Brethren in Christ Church, I accept the Bible as the word of God in which was revealed the way of salvation and the guide for faith and conduct. I witnessed to a personal experience of God's saving grace in my heart and expressed desire and purpose to live a holy life apart from sin and separated unto Christ. I covenant as a member of the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church to be loyal to this congregation, to consent to instruction in Bible doctrine, to support and sustain the services of the congregation by my regular attendance and prayers, to contribute to the program of the church as the Lord prospers me, and to foster a spirit of Christian fellowship and oneness within the church. If this is your purpose, will you affirm this covenant by answering, I do. We've asked each person to give uh, a brief testimony of how they came to the Lord and why they're joining the church today. I'm going to start here. Give your name and uh, maybe where you're from and uh, your testimony. Um, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Shirango, and I am from Cameroon. Uh, My city is Yaoundé. And um, I came to know God uh, through a process, mostly stemming from my great-grandmother's prayers, my grandma's prayers, um, most, yeah. And so, um, so my, my great-grandma, well, it's my testimony, but I'm going to say a little bit about her. Um, she, when she became a Christian, it wasn't a popular thing in her village, and uh, she had a lot of grief for it, but she was a very prayerful person, and uh, she prayed for her family, and I... Thank God, because as a product of her prayers, um, when I started growing up, I always had questions about faith, about God, about spiritual things. And I felt like whatever answers were around me were not enough um, to satisfy what was in my, what was in my mind. And so um, one day I went to church, and the pastor was talking about Jesus and I been going to church most of the time, but that day the pastor was talking about Jesus, and I felt like 
I could have a relationship with him. And so uh, at that time, I started, I made a commitment to have that relationship Amen. with him. Amen. So, and that's how I, I made a conscious uh, and intentional decision to know God and to follow him. And um, I want to join the, the Harrisburg Brethren, um, Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church in Harrisburg, um, because the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church in Harrisburg wants me to join it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. All right. Well, um, I, I'll be honest and say that a lot of people probably think I've been a member because I've been here going here for 14 years, so I figured I'll make it official and so. so and, you know, I may not be necessarily a pacifist like some people, but, that, but at the same time, I am. But back when I was five years old, I, I went to church. I've always been a member of a had a Christian family, but back then, you always knew about heaven and hell, so when I accepted the Lord, it was for fire prevention. <laughs> so I, I don't deny that. But as far as my relationship with God goes, I... I've always found it to be the most valuable one we have. And sometimes you can find yourself, there's times you can question and ask if, you can, if, if God's out there, but then you have to worry about the fires coming. And when, so when, when you get your feet licked a couple times, it definitely reminds you that he's there because you could have gotten hurt a lot worse than you were. Amen. And so, so, yeah, I'm a member because of, well, it's been a while. This, this is Philip Moore. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Give your name. I'm Katie Loom, and um, we both grew up in the church, but um, since coming here, we've really felt at home. Um, and one verse that's been on my heart a lot lately is Joshua 1.9 that says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And um, I've been thinking about that in, in the historical context. Uh, back in the days of Joshua, they we're in a time of transition, right? And um, they'd been rescued from slavery, but not yet entered into the promised land. And I think we're all sort of in that time too, but who, uh, yeah, who choose to follow Jesus, right? Because we've been rescued from our sins and our past, but we've not yet entered into what's to come. And um, just for us personally too, um, as some of you know, we've made the decision to move back to El Salvador and weren't even sure if we should do the membership thing because we're going to be halfway across the world, right? And um, it just didn't didn't seem right. But um, it's given me such courage and confidence um, to know that the grace and the peace and the love that we've experienced here will go with us and be with us wherever we are. So Amen. thank you. Amen. And my name is Jeff Loom, which Jeffrey... Um, if you don't know, means peacemaker. And so part of our journey, I grew up in the church. I was actually a preacher's kid, which Aww. isn't Aww. enough to put you off church for good. Yeah, but, it is, yeah. And, you know, struggled a little bit in my 20s just trying to find my way to an understanding of God that satisfied what was in my soul. And um, in many ways, we have found that here, that it's just the peace tradition is, really resonates with us, and and my name being peacemaker, you know, Jesus tells us in Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the peacemakers, and we've really experienced that too in this church. That 
Um, Katie would say sometimes it's a misnomer for me that I can because <laughs> I enjoy debate and I don't shy away from conflict sometimes. But I think peacemaking is an inherently a, uh, involves miscommunication and conflict and misunderstanding. But this church in this uh, community really stepped into that gap and and brings people from all walks of life together, and it's just a beautiful reflection of the kingdom of God, and we've just been so blessed to be here for the last six or seven years. So, That's right. Jesus said, blessed are the Jeffreys. That's right. So, You have heard the commitment these brothers and sisters are willing to make to you and to this church. Will you covenant with them to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? and to live a life of love toward one another just as Christ loved you and gave himself for you? If so, will the members of this congregation please indicate this by standing? And will everyone please stand and join us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the folks standing here. Lord, we pray for them. We thank you that uh, you sent Sheila from half a world away. We thank you for Philip, who's been with us 14 years. Uh, maybe. Anyway, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the looms who are going to El Salvador to minister to orphan children there. We pray you bless all of them. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought them into our lives. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can see different aspects of you through each of them. And so, Lord, we pray your greatest blessings on them. May they feel loved by you, and may they feel loved by us, and use them to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Upon your testimony and acceptance of the membership covenant, we welcome you into the membership of this church with all the privileges and responsibilities. We have... Um, Gift certificates, uh, <laughs> membership <laughs> certificates. Uh, we prefer Would you please give them a warm welcome into the fellow? As I continue with the Gospel of John, I'm reading from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five color covered colonnades. Say that real quick. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. That day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. 
So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Jesus loved going to the Jewish feasts. It doesn't tell us which feast this one was, but we do know that there were three feasts in those days. The Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, where every adult male within 12 miles was obligated to attend. Jesus, it's obvious from an early age, we know at 12, uh, loved remembering and celebrating the goodness of God to Israel. Remember when he was 12 and his parents lost him in Jerusalem? That whole story is preceded by the family was at the Feast of Passover, which, quote, they attended every year, unquote. John wants us to know that Jesus relished these times of the gathering of Israel to worship. And while in Jerusalem, it says Jesus passed a pool called Bethesda. It was located near the Sheep Gate, and the Sheep Gate is where they put sheep that were about to be sacrificed. Bethesda was actually a two-pool complex, 20 feet deep, and the two pools together were about as large as a football field. And it was surrounded by five roof colonnades that provided shade for the people around the pool. From time to time, these pools bubbled and stirred because they were fed by an underground spring. And from the bubbling of that spring that fed these pools, a superstition evolved. It was said that the stirring was caused by angels, and whoever got into the water first would be healed. So the disabled of every kind, as, as John describes it, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they all laid around the pool's edge, hoping to be the first, hoping to get their once-in-a-lifetime healing. I really find this kind of sad. Hundreds of people believing in a false superstition and staking their lives on something that really was not true. You see, God's miracles do not happen because someone can move faster than someone else. That's not the basis for a miracle. Otherwise, Usain Bolt, the world's fastest human, would get more miracles than anybody else. I thought that was funny, but apparently it's not. <laughs> they didn't laugh in the first service either. I was going to find out which was more spiritual, but neither of you. Anyway... We are not in a competition with each other for God's grace. We're not in a competition with each other for God's love or forgiveness or healing. There's plenty to go around. None of us has to be first in the pool today. Hallelujah. John tells us about one man who had been an invalid for 38 years who was beside the pool. We don't know why he was there. We don't know if it was a birth defect or an accident or a disease but for whatever reason, this man hadn't stood for 38 years. 38 years in those times, by the way, was about as long as people lived. It was a lifetime. The average person in those days only lived to be 40. In other words, this guy was old. He was a geezer. Steve Burlew sent him emails inviting him to the classics every week. <laughs> Trying to help you, Steve. And yet... Out of the hundreds gathered by the pool of Bethesda, it says Jesus saw this man and was drawn to him. An older man, a man way past his prime, 
a man considered useless by society, a man who was obviously helpless. There were all kinds of people there, and yet Jesus saw this man. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room, brothers and sisters, or on this planet, Jesus sees us, sees our need, feels our pain, is drawn to us. He cares for us as if we were the only people on this planet. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how useful society thinks you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how good looking you are. Jesus sees our hearts and our needs and he comes to us just like he did this old man. Perhaps you can identify with this man on the mat. Maybe you feel helpless in some area of life. Maybe you feel paralyzed like by fear or hate or grief, or depression, or some addiction, or some destructive pattern you just can't seem to get rid of, or something physical. You've tried to get up and walk, but it won't let you. You've wanted to take your mat and walk, but you can't. At this point, Jesus does not come to this man and start preaching. You know, very rarely does Jesus ever come to anyone on an individual basis and start preaching. He does what he so often did with people. He asks a probing question. The Gospels show that, that Jesus asks dozens of questions to people. And as usual, when Jesus asks a question, it gets right to the heart of the matter. Do you want to be well? What a question! Of course, any sane person would want to be well. Why do you think this guy's laid by the pool for years? Isn't it interesting what Jesus didn't say? He didn't reinforce this man's superstition by saying, hey, I'll help you. The next time, I'll, I'll be right here to shove you in the pool the next time it bubbles up. He didn't give him a pep talk and say, you'll get there someday. He did not offer to make him more comfortable. You know, while you're here waiting, let me get you a Sealy Posturepedic so you can be comfortable. Instead, he asked this man a very hard question. You know, people who love, really love you, do that from time to time. They ask hard questions. They say tough love things. As it says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but often we don't hear the second part of this, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The people who really love you will not just slather kisses on you all the time and compliment you. Ray Stedman said that for hundreds of years, the pools of the village of Bath, England have been considered to have healing properties because they're fed by natural springs also. To this day, thousands of people flock every year to bathe in the waters of Bath. Nearly 200 years ago, a famous English doctor, Sir Walter Farquhar, prescribed a three-week visit to the pools as a curative for one of his elderly female patients. The woman had complained for years of an ailment and had never been clearly diagnosed. So unable to do anything else for her, Dr. Farquhar suggested that a stay in bath might do her some good. But doctor, the woman protested, I wouldn't want to be out of your care for three weeks. You know how ill I am. What if I took a turn for the worse? Who could I trust to take care of me in bath? Ah, but there's an absolutely wonderful doctor in Bath, Dr. Farquhar said. A very competent man. I guarantee that Dr. Lewis will give you the best of care. I'll give him a letter of introduction 
for you to take to Dr. Lewis. The letter will give him a complete medical history, and it will be just as if I were treating you myself. So the woman set out with a companion on the carriage ride to Bath. And as they rode, the old woman's companion asked just what sort of ailment she was being treated for. Well, the woman said, Dr. Farquhar has never actually told me after all these years. But he gives my entire medical history in this letter to Dr. Lewis. Perhaps I should read it and find out. Oh, no, said her companion. You mustn't do that. It's confidential. But the woman's curiosity was too strong. She took out the letter, ripped open the envelope, and read, Dear Dr. Lewis, this old woman isn't really sick. It's all in her head. Keep the old lady in bath for three weeks and then send her back to me. Truly yours, Dr. Farquhar. My friends, you don't want a doctor like that. You don't want friends like that. That is called codependence. You don't want people to help you be dysfunctional. We have too many people in our lives who rather than saying the hard things, let us go on in a dysfunctional manner. Let me ask you today, is there someone who can speak truth into your life? Do you have that kind of support network? Or are you just jumping from shallow relationship to shallow relationship and never really growing very much? Do you want to be well? Why wouldn't this man want to get well? Because there are some people who cling to their victimhood because it releases them from other greater responsibilities. For this man, healing meant change. It meant radical change. It meant if he could walk, then he would no longer be treated as helpless. He would have to learn a job or a vocation. He would no longer get free money from begging. He would have to assume new responsibilities for his family who had helped him for so long. If he failed, he could no longer blame circumstances beyond his control. Getting well was risky business. It's hard getting off the mat, isn't it? This mat for, that mat, for this man, you know, they were standard size. They were like two feet by four feet. And this mat had become this man's prison. It had become his home. He had got used to living in eight square feet. And in a strange way, it was safe. This man had bedded down with his problems. He had grown used to them. He had learned to live with it. And not only that, justify it. Did you notice how defensive he was when Jesus said, do you want to get well? Well, and then he starts, well, here's why I'm not well. Change is hard. Some people prefer familiar hells rather than to venture into new freedoms. Their philosophy is better the devil you know. How hard is change? Study after medical study identifies five behavioral issues that cause 80% of the health problems in America. I bet if I polled you, you could tell me. We eat too much of the wrong stuff. I'll take hands. How many of you? No, never mind. <laughs> Smoking, drinking, alcohol, stress, and not enough exercise. Anybody here guilty of that? I am guilty of all, no, not the, not the cigarette or the drink. Well, never mind. I'm about to get myself in, on the mat. Anyway, four out of five people go to the hospital because of one or more of those things. Let's take cigarette smoking. 
In 1900, a doctor who taught at a medical school called his students to come in and see something extremely rare. As he cut open the cadaver's chest, the med school professor said, look at this. You may never see it again. You know what they saw? They saw a man who had died of lung cancer. And the students were told they would probably never encounter it again in a lifetime of practicing medicine. That was in 1900. That was before cigarette, the cigarette industry gave out millions of free packs of cigarettes to our soldiers fighting in World War I and World War II to boost morale. That was before massive advertising campaigns were launched, making cigarettes cool. You know, Joe Camel. Now a quarter of a million people die every year from lung cancer. Not to mention all the other assorted diseases that come from smoking. This nation allowed the cigarette companies to literally create an epidemic of massive proportions right before our eyes. Now millions of people are literally killing themselves. And they keep doing it, knowing that it's killing themselves because of the addictive powers of cigarettes. I think Jesus is saying to a lot of us, do you want to get well? Apparently millions don't think they can or don't want to give up their addiction. According to Dr. Edward Miller, the 13th dean of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, more than one and a half million Americans undergo coronary bypass surgery every year. But these surgeries, along with angioplasty, are a temporary fix. Without a change in eating and exercise habits, the health benefits of any heart surgery are short-lived. Patients are told that point blank. This can fix the problem now, but if you live like you've been living, the problem will come back. Yet, Dr. Miller says, if you look at the people after coronary artery bypass graft surgery two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. Nine out of ten. Do these people who have had their hearts operated on want to live? The answer is yes. They want to live badly enough to let surgeons crack their chests open. But for 90%, not even life or death is enough to for them to change their lifestyles permanently. Apparently, 9 out of 10 people would rather die than change. Isn't that scary? Do we want to be well? Again, Jesus asks us that. I mean, really, really. And I'm not saying genetics don't play a vital role in this. They do. But we all have to play the hand dealt to us. If the 12-step recovery movement has taught us anything, it is that real deep down change starts with faith in a higher power and surrender to that higher power. And the good news for us this morning is that we know who the higher power is. He is our friend. He is our Savior. The good news is that Jesus has already come to the mat we're lying on. And he asks us the same question. Do you want to be well? Not just saved, not just getting to heaven by the skin of your teeth. Do you want to be well? What are your addictions? What are your self-destructive sinful patterns? Are you ready to let them go with Jesus' help? Are you ready to take up your mat and walk? It starts with faith. Some of us, I find, 
have the right theology and the right doctrines and we do a lot of the right things, but in reality we are functional atheists. Deep down, we believe like that man beside the Bethesda pool 2,000 years ago. If it's going to be, it's up to me. I've got to get myself in the water. I've got to fix this problem. Let me tell you something profoundly simple. Healing starts by believing that Jesus can heal us. It's that simple. Rolf Smith, a researcher in child development, says... On average, young children ask 125 questions a day. How many of you have young children? Is that true? Oh, yes. What? Alden said a little low. Yeah, you got double trouble. Anyway, although they're cuter than... Anyway, you know how many questions the average adult asks a day? The answer is six. From 125 down to 6. At some point, most of us quit asking questions and become set in our assumptions about reality. As we get older, we lose our sense of childlike wonder. Our imaginations begin to wither. We tell ourselves what God will or will not do, what's possible and what is not possible. And with that, our faith begins to wither too. Because when you start telling God what's possible and what's not possible, suddenly we are in dangerous territory. In 1939, George Danzig enrolled as a graduate student at the University of California, Berkeley. He was studying statistics under Polish-born professor Jerzy Neyman. And at the beginning of one of his class sessions, Dr. Neyman put on the chalkboard two famously unsolvable problems that the math world for decades had not been able to solve them. George Dancing, his student, however, arrived late to class that day and didn't know uh, and didn't hear him say these are unsolvable problems. He mistakenly thought the unsolvable problems was his homework assignment for the class. So they wrote them in his notebook and went back home and started working on the two unsolvable problems of math. It took a little longer than he anticipated, but George Dancing solved both of these problems. And on a Sunday morning, six weeks later, an ecstatic Dr. Naaman, his professor, knocked on George's door to share the news. And when he got there with his papers, a bewildered George actually apologized, thinking the assignment was overdue. And then Dr. Naaman said, no. You have solved two of statistics' unsolvable problems. And Danzig said, if someone had told me that these were two famous unsolvable problems, I probably wouldn't have solved them. We make far too many false assumptions about what is and isn't possible. George Danzig solved those unsolvable problems because he didn't know what couldn't be done. And we follow Jesus, somebody smarter than Danzig, somebody far more powerful. For some of us, faith is recapturing what we have lost as children. It is unlearning some of our cynicism. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom. It's asking God for our needs, believing he's real and he cares and he hears us and he will do something. 
He's going to do something when you pray, brothers and sisters. Our job is to spot what something is. Faith is looking at the world differently. It is faith finding God working in everyday life. It is spotting the supernatural at work in the natural. It is looking for in our normal life to see who and where God is working in our normal life. I have, to, I have to confess to you that for years I missed so much of what God was giving me because often when something happened that, that you know, God didn't appear in a bush and stuff, I, I, looking back now, I realized God was doing stuff for me and I labeled it co- uh, coincidence. I want you to know something. If you keep labeling God's gifts as coincidence, the coincidences go away. And I realized that there were times God was putting thoughts in my head and I thought I was brilliant. And after a while I went, wait a minute, this might not be coming from me. This might not be coming from you. Are you paying attention to what God is giving you? Are you giving God the glory for what he is giving you? Because brothers and sisters, we live in a God-saturated world. Paul says we live and move and have our being in him. And that means he's doing a whole lot more than we usually give him credit for. And then wonder why our faith withers. <laughs> a young boy went to an older spiritual man, a really great saint. And this boy was going, he's going, Sir, how, how do you see God everywhere? And this old saint looked at him and smiled and he said, how do you not see God everywhere? You never know what answers your prayers generate. If you want to see God move, you know, as they say in baseball, swing for the fences. And know that how and when and where and what in the final analysis are not up to you, but to the one who answers prayers. Our job is to ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking. And believe that God is doing something, even if we don't understand it just then, that he's out there working in our life. Are we paying attention and noticing? Which means we have to do our part too. We have to obey when God starts talking. God can't help a person who refuses to pick up their mat and walk. Pray and then do what you need to do with his help. Pick up your mat and then take a step. And then obey and take another step. And then obey and take another step. If you're an alcoholic, please don't keep hanging around a bar. Or don't hide whiskey in the house. Get serious. Take up your mat. If you're an addict, please do not hang with other addicts. You know what's going to happen if you do. Take up your mat. If you're hooked on porn, put a block on the computer or television or whatever you need to do to put a block on, whatever gizmo you have, I've given up. If you want to change, you can't keep going to the same places, hanging with the wrong people, and doing the same things over and over. You've got to be willing to pick up your mat and go. Do not excuse or play with the things that trigger your addictions or destructive behavior patterns. Maybe more importantly, get someone to hold you accountable. If you really want to change, 
someone to pray for you, encourage you, help you not go back to the pool? Find a mentor or a friend or a group or a counselor if need be. Again, are you willing to do that much? I will ask you the same question Jesus asked. Do you want to get well? If you don't, just keep doing what you're doing. The results are predictable. But if you want to get well, do something to break the cycle in mat living. You know, that's what Jesus told this man. He said, pick up your mat and get going. And then at the end he said, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I've often thought, what was this man's sin? What could an old man laying on a mat, what kind of trouble could he get into? And probably there was something, a, a sin not of flesh but of spirit. Some, some bitterness, some cynicism, some hatred. There was something going on in this man. And Jesus said, if you're really, really going to be well, not only are you, is your body going to be healed, but your spirit's going to be healed. Now get up and stop sinning. Because if you don't, something else worse is coming down the trail. Do you want to get well? Burn the bridges that lead back to the old stuff. The solutions to many problems, by the way, are not just doing different things, but thinking differently. This man on the mat lived on that mat for so long, he had to believe at some point that he was a permanent mat dweller. He and others thought that this was all he would ever know was that two-by-four mat, that this is all his life would be. Please be careful, brothers and sisters, of self-fulfilling prophecies. I love Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, but there's one thing I strongly disagree with them about when they introduce themselves at AA or NA meetings. You know what it is. Somebody will say, hi, I'm Bill and I'm an alcoholic. Or, hi, I'm Jane, and I'm an addict. I don't think it's biblical for any Christian to label themselves as the disease they're fighting. You know, when I walk in the hospital, if I have cancer, I don't go, hi, I'm Woody, I'm cancer. Or somebody with diabetes doesn't go, hi, I'm Jane, I'm diabetes. I may be an alcoholic, but alcoholism for the Christian is never my core identity. I may be an addict. But addiction is a problem I have. It is not who I am. Don't let what's wrong with you define you. Don't put a false dehumanizing label on yourself. If you are a child of God at your core, rejoice in that, even if you have an addiction. If you're a believer, you are a new creature in Christ, even if you struggle with alcohol. You are a saint at heart, even if you fail at times. Never forget who you are. As Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. Remember Peter? Right after Jesus called Simon to follow him, he re renamed him Cephas, Peter the Rock. And at that time, Jesus named Simon the Rock. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Simon was any, a, a, little, a little girl, a little cleaning girl got him to deny Jesus for Pete's sake. That is not a rock. But why did Jesus name him the rock? Because he was redefining Simon's identity. He was calling a new person into being. He was predicting a new future for Simon. 
And by the time Jesus was done with Cephas the rock, guess what? He was a rock. When we get to heaven, we're all going to have new names. I can't wait to get to heaven and get a new name because I don't like the current ones. I am not crazy about Elwood, not crazy about Junior, not that crazy about Glenn. But Jesus has a name for me, and he has a name for you. And guess what? All of our lives in this journey, he is going to form us to fit that name when we get there. He's going to take us, and when we get to heaven, he's going to say, you are this, and it will fit perfectly. Never forget who you really are in Christ, no matter what the problem is. As Christians, we're called to believe in new possibilities that never existed before. And the main new possibility is that Jesus will change us. He will change things if we believe in him and obey him. Often people believe, but they don't obey, or they obey, but they don't really believe. you got to put them together because God is working all the time. 2,000 years ago, God showed up and asked a man if he wanted to be well. I got good news. He still shows up asking us the same question. The question is, are we ready to take him at his offer? Are we ready to pick up our mats and walk? Are we ready to change? Because the Lord of this universe is ready to help us take one step after another after another until we get to where we want to go and until he gets us where he wants us to go. Do we believe? Or do we have to unlearn some stuff? I want, I want the intercessors to come up to the front. And I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done here quite like this. I try not to put people on the spot, you know. Even with salvation, I try not to put people on the spot. But today... If you're trapped in your mat, if your mat is your prison, if you're paralyzed by something, whether it's bitterness or the past or a relationship or, you know, emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever your mat is, I would like to invite you to come to the front today and join with others, and I and the intercessors will go up and down the line praying for people because Sometimes you have to do something different to break the cycle of the mat. You have to take a little risk that says, I'm really serious about this. You have to come in a way you haven't come before. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come forward. And... Um, and if you have something that you feel helpless against, trapped by, no matter what it is, physical, spiritual, relational, I want you to come to the front and, and join with other brothers and sisters of the mat and let people pray for you and try something different for once. The altar is open.
But God, I also want to pray this morning for all of us who maybe stayed in our seats, who stayed singing, but we too are trapped. God, I thank you that before you, we can be honest. Before you, we can confess. Before you, we can cry out. So God, I pray for every single person in this room this morning. Lord, whatever we're addicted by, whatever we're afflicted by, whatever soul defines us that is in Christ, Lord, search in us. Search in us and lead us in that way of the everlasting. God, give us courage this morning to be faithful and vulnerable with you, but to be faithful and vulnerable with each other. To be faithful and vulnerable so that we can grow. Because God, where we're weak, there you're strong. So Lord, we thank you this morning that we can trust you as our healer. That your healing isn't just what you did on Calvary, but your healing is you still coming down. So Lord, help us to get off our mats this morning. Help us to get off the mats and, and the sin that so easily entangles all of us, so easily ensnares.